I invite you, if you'd like to turn to Exodus 25, we're going to read verses 23 down to 30 and look at the table of bread in the holy place tonight. We're walking through the tabernacle, the, particularly the furniture. We've covered the Ark of the Covenant, table of the showbread this time, and then next time, Lord willing, uh, the golden lampstand. Before we read the passage and uh, consider it for a while, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, from of old you've been teaching uh, us, your people, about who you are and how we can approach you, how we can have life in your name and what this looks like. And so we are delighted that we can see in a very basic way uh, what bread means, what you're teaching not just the Israelites, but also us through them. Uh, by means of this table. And we ask that you would teach us things that we need to be reminded of, remind us of them, and also teach us things that maybe we have never known. But we ask that the end would be your praise and your glory, that we would delight ourselves in who you are, and that we would grow and mature in our faith. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. All right, uh, Exodus chapter 25, beginning at verse 23, you shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a hand breadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives tonight. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone uh, listening uh, tonight, when uh, Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, I know this is where we uh, a lot of things I've mentioned start, uh, the effect on them and on every human being since uh, is at the most basic level. It has affected our hunger in soul. It has left us with an insatiable hunger that can't be satisfied with a massive Thanksgiving meal or the best steak dinner or going out to your favorite restaurant and gorging until you feel like you just have to throw up. It's a hunger that if your life is going as well as you can imagine, you're meeting all your career goals, your financial plans are unfolding, your family life is right on track, you have the number of kids you've always wanted since you were 10 years old or whatever the case may be, yet you can be starving absolutely starving down to the very depths of your inmost being. The hunger which is inside every human being in our souls is a hunger which can drive people to insanity, a hunger which drives people to all sorts of sexual sins, drives people to destroy their lives with addictions to work, addictions to family, addictions to material things. It's a hunger that no matter how much we try to satisfy, our souls laugh at us if we feed them anything other than God. And we live in a world that is filled with people who are just as depraved as we are, except God's grace at work in us, praise him for it, being born again, 
We live in a world that is filled with people who don't know the Lord, and they are absolutely starving. Their souls are dying for food. We've found it by God's grace, but they haven't. And the table of showbread is the Lord's way of teaching the Israelites at the most basic level, that I'm the God who supplies not just physical needs, but spiritual needs. I'm the only one who can satisfy you spiritually. Now, there's an outward element to the table of the showbread. We'll get to that, where indeed we're learning that God provides food for his people. But there's also an inward element, the spiritual element, which is the bigger element that it points to. And unless our thinking is so narrowly focused on middle-class American Christians, we will know that there are indeed believers who have died of starvation, died of thirst, died due to exposure to the elements. So it would be inaccurate for us to think that, oh, if you're a believer, you'll never ever go hungry. The table of the Shorbet tells us that every Christian will indeed have enough to eat and enough to drink and enough clothing that they will never die from lack of those things. Just not the case, uh, even outwardly as we look at believers. And indeed, even when God our Father is compared to an earthly father who will give food rather than stones, we're told he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We're not told that he will give us unlimited bread and water for our lives. So indeed, it may be the case that we as Christians may die of starvation, may die in a famine or of thirst, very possible, and God will be with us in it, supplying our every need. So let me just walk into this passage with this bit of reminder. We're in the area where the tabernacle is being constructed. The, the instructions are being given. It will be built a few chapters later. In the most holy place, there is the Ark of the Covenant, which we looked at uh, last time we were in Exodus. And that ark taught the Israelites this is only one way to approach God. You have to come with blood. You need a sacrifice. You need atonement. That takes place at the mercy seat. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. That's how we approach him. Well, in addition to the most holy place, or in Hebrew, the holy, holy place, we have the holy place, just one holy, not two holies. One holy place. And this holy place is the, the altar of incense, the golden lampstand, which we'll notice next time, and the table of the showbread. Now, the table of showbread itself is nothing impressive. Again, it's made of acacia wood. You can look at the dimensions. If you have an ESV study Bible, they have a great depiction of it. Good stuff. I'm sure other study Bibles do as well. That's the only one I'm familiar with. And uh, uh, they had brackets on this table that was acacia wood layered in gold. They had brackets that you put poles through, which again, the poles were acacia wood layered in gold, and you would carry it very similar to the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of this table, there were to be two stacks of loaves of bread, six high, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were flagons, which is like a pitcher, you could argue, a pitcher, of, we might use a water pitcher for this reason. There were bowls, there were plates, there were dishes. It was a table that was set for the sake of a meal. That's the image of the table of the showbread. And this table, as I want to argue and walk us through tonight, taught the Israelites at least five things. And it's those five things I want to highlight. First of all, it taught them that God provides for them physically. And I want to start there. When you were a priest and you walked into the very presence of God, in not the Holy of Holies, but the holy place, there was bread there that according to Leviticus 24 was put there each Sabbath day. So it was bread that the priests got to eat it nourished them, 
It wasn't, you know, in, in pagan worship rituals, you would bring food for the gods, and the assumption was the gods would consume it. In Israelite religion, our God doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient. So the priest would bring bread to him, but the priest would consume that bread. It was for their uh, physical nourishment and well-being. So the priests would be reminded each time they went into the holy place that being a child of God, God provides these things for my physical well-being. In other words, when I have food and shelter and clothing, I know who to praise and thank. I know where these things have come from. It's not a guarantee that I will always have them in abundance, but I do know that when I receive these gifts, such as food or sustenance, like water to drink, they are from God, and I can praise Him and thank Him. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that every one of us in this room here tonight has more than enough provisions from God that we could pray endless thanksgiving to him. And our prayers could go on for hours and days if we were to thank him for all the things that he has given to sustain our lives physically. Uh, we, we have so much as Americans living here in Pella. The second thing that this table taught the Israelites is that God is present with them. Now, if you noticed... The bread is called the bread of the presence that was put on the table. It's literally the bread of the face. So what the Israelites are being taught is that when the priest goes into the holy place, they are going to be in the presence of bread that is representative of God's presence with the Israelites. It's the bread of God's face, the bread of God's presence when you're at this table, you are in the very presence of God. So the priests would know for sure every time they walked into this holy place, God's with us. God is here. God is providing for us. No matter where we are, whether in the wilderness, which they'll be wandering around in there for about 40 years, whether we're in Israel after Solomon's built the temple and we're losing battles to the Philistines and the Ammonites, or we're winning them under King David, wherever the case may be, they walk into the holy place, they're reminded God's with us. His very presence is with us. Whether we're in exile, they'd all be reminded, oh, we remember the worship going to the temple, and there the presence of God was. So no matter where the Israelites were, they would be assured, indeed, God is with us. And if you follow that thread right through quickly to Matthew 123, we're told the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very bread of the presence was teaching the Israelites, wherever you are, it began in the wilderness. However life is going in this wilderness, whether you're hungry and want to go back to Egypt or not, complaining that there's no water and I give it to you or not, whatever the case may be, God is with us in this. They will see this through the pillar of fire, through the pillar of cloud, and they will be learning it as well through the bread of the presence. God is with us when? God is with us in temptation. God is with us in sorrow. God's with us in the hospital. He's with us in pain. No matter where a believer goes, one thing the bread of the presence teaches us, the bread of God's face, is that he's with us no matter where we are. There's no substitute for a friend who sticks right close by our side, but how's this for a friend? 
no matter where we are in this universe, outer space, someday they want to build on Mars, that's great. So let's say a bunch of believers fly to Mars. Doesn't matter where you put a, a Christian, God is with us every single place that we go. And he's with us not just as an observer, a casual observer, who's just kind of keeping track of the details of our lives to be able to accurately report on them in some newspaper article. He's with us in a way where he deeply cares about us. He's with us in like a Psalm 56 way. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's how God is with us. Remember that episode in the life of Elijah, Mount Carmel High Point? He runs away from Jezebel. He's at a low point. <laughs> and you might think, oh, he'll just snap out of it eventually. And what happens? The angel of God shows up and does what? Just makes him a meal. God with him, God with his people. The table, the bread of the presence testifies that God is with us at our high points and in our low points. When things are going amazing and our friends are right there with us or when we are all alone without any friends and nobody understands where we're coming from, God is with us 100% of the time. The third thing this table of showbread taught us is that the bread provision is temporary because it needed to be changed out on a regular, to use the language of Exodus 25 basis, or on a weekly basis, Leviticus 24 verses 5 through 9. The bread was changed every Sabbath. So when they made the bread, the bread would only last about a week. That was it. It wasn't permanent bread. It wasn't enduring bread. It was bread that was subject to mold and subject to rot and subject to decay. So the Israelites would have learned that in this bread. The fourth thing that they learned is that God provides for them spiritually. Here we're going to start getting a little bit deeper. The bread of the presence was in the holy place. The entire tabernacle was one big spiritual lesson. And so by God putting bread in the holy place on this golden table, it shouldn't come to us as a surprise that he's not just teaching them about how to bake bread and how to eat bread and how to live another day by ingesting this. He's teaching the priests and all Israel spiritual lessons. He's teaching them that just as bread is the symbol for human sustenance physically. So God provides for us what we need spiritually. Now the Old Testament hits at this and a few hints at this in a few other passages. So Deuteronomy 8.3, for example, which comes a little bit later, the Lord humble you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then Jesus in his ministry, in his temptations, Matthew 4 quotes that. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so physical bread is important, but it's not everything. We live by the word of God too. That feeds us in some way, okay? So the Israelites discover that in a little bit. Isaiah 55 goes a little farther and says, Isaiah 55 too, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me here that your soul may live. Okay, so just piece that out a little bit. What else are we learning about bread? The food being talked about here is characterized by its freeness. You can't buy it. It gives life to their souls. 
incline your ear to me, hear that your soul may live. He was just talking about bread. Now he's talking about souls living. And those who do, do not eat this food will not be satisfied. Those who do eat this free food will be satisfied. Okay, so we're learning, piecing some things together regarding bread and its meaning spiritually throughout the Old Testament. Then if you flip over to John 6 in the New Covenant, all the doors kind of blow off about bread. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Remember, he had just fed the 5,000 men, not including women and children. They, were, they marveled at that. <laughs> How do you pull that off with just a few fishes and loaves? He had just walked on water across the Sea of Galilee. The next day, these crowds are seeking him out. They want, they want more of this. This was quite a show. And he said, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And I'll just stop for a moment. The food Jesus is talking about is starting to sound an awful lot like the food Isaiah was talking about, that bread. The Son of Man will give it to you. It's free. It endures to eternal life. It's spiritual food that endures all the way to eternal life. It's not temporary that's changed out every week. If you eat this bread, it will last forever. And it's satisfying. If you have this bread that Jesus is talking about, you won't hunger anymore. And then John 6, the bread of God is he who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Whoa. Now Jesus talks about this bread as a person. So this bread lasts forever. It never rots or decays. It's free of charge. And it's a person. And then the people are desperate. You can almost hear their desperation. John 6, 34, sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> They're just dying for this. We've heard bread. We, we know what the table of the showbread's about. We get the temple. We know what Isaiah's talked about. We've seen what you did with loaves. We want bread that will last forever. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And later on in John 6, 48, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness. They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, I doubt anyone was ready for this spiritual lesson that Jesus gave, but he gave it anyways. Many of them walked away. It's a lot to swallow, no pun intended. Bread begins in the tabernacle. The tabernacle bread feeds the priests. The tabernacle bread is only temporary. The tabernacle bread is symbolic of spiritual provision for our souls. The bread we need is free and it satisfies when you receive it. This bread satisfies the soul and causes the soul to live. This bread endures all the way to eternal life. This bread is a person. This bread is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself is the bread. Whoa. If you start at the tabernacle, go to Deuteronomy 8, Isaiah 55, John 6. All of a sudden we got 12 loaves of bread sitting on a table pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the face of God, the very presence of God. God himself with us. Jesus Christ is the bread of God, the nourisher and sustainer of our souls. He's the bread which never perishes, but endures to eternal life. And if we eat of him, we never have to find bread anywhere else for our souls. Nowhere else. We can say, Eureka, I found it, I'm done looking. 
I've found that which can satisfy. Now, why is this so important? I'm calling this basic Christianity because when you look at what God's teaching the Israelites, it's basic, down to the most basic things. He's teaching them the ABCs of true religion. We get to the new covenant, all of a sudden we're at the XYZs too, we're getting more details flushed in, here we're at the ABCs. But it's all the same in essence. Why is this so important? People are so hungry for acceptance and significance and peace for their souls, down to the very depths of their being. They will do any number of things, including the following, destroy the lives of others through gossip, slander, and lies in order to get to the top of their career ladder. They will sacrifice their children they will drink and drug themselves all the way to the grave because they think soul satisfaction can be found at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of a line. They'll put their entire life on hold three times a day to kneel and bow on a piece of cotton they put on the ground and chant some prayers as they face the same direction. They'll murder other human beings who don't believe like they do. They'll refuse to work because ease and comfort they think will satisfy their souls. They'll have sex with anyone or anything because they think soul satisfaction can be found in unlimited sexual pleasure. They'll make meals, give away all their possessions, go without meals, beat their bodies, obey the rules, try to be the nicest person they possibly can be, and rigorously punish themselves physically in the hopes that God will accept them. They'll refuse to sleep, work 18 hours a day, die of a heart attack, just in order to serve their God. They'll serve their spouse, sacrifice themselves for their children, volunteer in three different charities, give away every single penny, that they have to their name in the hopes that God will be enamored with their performance, let them into heaven because they're better than everyone else they know, or at least because they try hard. And they will do this in order to satisfy the hunger in their souls. And every one of us are wired a bit differently. So the way we satisfy that hunger is gonna take different shapes and forms. And after finishing doing all of this, they will discover that their soul says to them, I'm still dying of hunger here, still not satisfied. I've, I've eaten all this stuff and it has not fit the bill. Athletes will dedicate their minds and bodies to complete exhaustion just to satisfy the hunger for importance and fame and victory. Professionals will work 20 hours a day. Some of them are already a billionaire just to satisfy the hunger for money. Parents will completely lose themselves in the lives of their children, unable to tell them no or train them just to satisfy the hunger for the perfect family where everything's at peace. People will work out and exercise and diet and alter their bodies artificially just to satisfy the hunger to live longer and to be noticed and called beautiful. And Jesus has the audacity to claim that he alone is the only bread that if people eat, they will no longer be hungry anymore. But this is like a global human problem. How basic is this? So basic, it describes everybody. Jesus, John 6, 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That's a big claim. If you come to me and you believe in me and you take in yourself my flesh and blood, you drink and you eat, meaning you ingest me as it were by faith, and you take in all I am and all I have done and all I will do as the second person of the Godhead in the flesh, if you take that in, you will not hunger again. You will not live like the rest of the world you will not let your soul chase after all these teeny tiny crumbs when you have had this steak dinner of me that will last forever. It's a massive claim.